Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fandoms, Culture, and Perhaps a Few Murders, where we discuss exactly that. Fandoms, Culture, and Perhaps a Few Murders. I am your host, Fade, and with me, as always, is Al. Hey, y'all. And Feline. Hello, hello. Now, with over 150 countries, over 4,000 recognized religions, and approximately 5,000 indigenous nations on this planet, there are practices that are common and those that are controversial. It is the latter that brings us to today's discussion. Take it away, Al. All right. Today, I'm going to be talking about a special ceremony called the Ma Nene. And I want to apologize to anyone because I like people of Indonesia because I'm going to tear this shit up. <laughs> and I apologize in advance. All right. In the Toraja region on the Indonesian island of Sulawesi, people celebrate a multi-day funeral ceremony called the Ma Nene. Now, first, even before we get to that itself, once a relative dies, they start to preserve the body by covering their skin with a mix of formaldehyde and water, keeping the bodies in the home, caring for them as though they are still alive, using pillows, blankets, and other creature comfort that they were used to when they were alive. Tarajans believe that after death, the soul remains in, in the house till they are able to save up enough money for an elaborate funeral to help send their souls to the spirit realm. The bodies are cared for as though their day has never stopped, given food, water, and their favorite cigarettes on occasion. We all know that bodies start to stink after a few days, so they keep them in a separate room in the house filled with stored dried plants to mask the odor. And their families come from all over to come and visit them during this time. Their community believes a well-preserved corpse brings good fortune to the family, so they will go through great lengths to keep the body in the best possible condition, having been taught from a young age about the acceptance of death as part of your soul's journey. Outside of the outrageous cost of the funeral, because they have to save up for this as well while the person is slowly rotting and stuff in their home depending on the cast of the family it could be anywhere between fifty thousand to five hundred thousand dollars in comparison to u.s money and it's compared to how many buffaloes they have to sacrifice for this funeral they believe the delay in the burial also helps with the grieving process once the funeral commences they place their loved ones in a mausoleum type cave in the side of a mountain where they will now be participating in the yearly tradition known as the mahnene which means to care for their elders. Usually held in August, the coffins are brought out from the mountain mausoleum, washed, given new clothes, air dried, and brought down to the village. They are sunbathed and all relatives travel to pay respects and have feasts in their honor. They pose with them for photos and selfies with the dead, also leaving gifts with them, such as jewelry, glasses, and or watches. The ritual comes from a story passed down from generation to generation. Back in the day, there was a hunter named Pong Rumasek, who roamed the hills of Taraja. Encountering an abandoned corpse lying under a tree, he gently wrapped the bones in his clothes and buried it. After honoring the body, he was blessed with lifelong luck and wealth. The rumors have spread ever since. The Tarajans believe that the spirit will reward them if they care for their ancestors as well. Now, if you look up pics online of the Manene, you can see how death is more celebrated than feared and mourned. It's definitely daunting to see a woman carrying around a dead infant and it looks like it's a freaky thing to look at. I just in my opinion, but again, we come from a culture where like it's burying the dead as they look as they are as fast as possible so we can remember them with a different look to them. There was a picture I saw of a child holding the body of their dead sibling or a nearly skeletal corpse with sunglasses and a lit cigarette in its mouth being posted up against a post outside of its own house. But I understand wanting to keep an emotional connection with the ones that you love. It also keeps you from, from getting the impact that that person had in your lives. 
it gives me a new perspective on how to look at things, not necessarily to fear death, because they're taught like this as a child to help take care of the dead. So for them, it's part of nature. And I, and I like that acceptance of death and that death isn't the final thing for them. It's a push forward. I feel like we're so used to at least the way we think about death and like funerals that the bodies are so precious. You're not really supposed to do anything to them. You're supposed to, you know, put them away and leave them be. Right. And just take their memory, maybe visit the burial site, however often. And something I've always thought, even though it is like part of our thing, like our culture or our norm to like quickly get rid of the bodies, I do feel like I can picture that being hard. I can picture wanting to keep them around because it seems when you think about it, daunting to think someone who might be a relative or someone you cared for is now being like, you know, taken away and embalmed. That's a lot. Yeah. So I can see how in doing it their way gives them a lot more time to like slowly let go because you still have them around. I feel like there's different ways to look at it. This here is essentially in other countries a desecration of a corpse. So that yeah. would be considered against the law. Yeah, you're right. In other ways, if you keep taking them out, then are you really processing your grief and letting that person go? Well, the whole village does it at one time at, for a couple of days in August. So if they die beforehand, they'll pull back out in August. And the whole town does it together as like a celebration of life. It isn't just when that person died. Then as a collective, outside of people who may have been dead for, let's say, decades or so, does this really help with being able to process that grief, especially if, you know, a particular loss is a hard one? Because I've seen the pictures too. They seem to have some really good body preservation rights because they just essentially kind of look like they're sun-dried, almost like, um... Like mummies. Grayish, you know, um, beef jerky in a way. <laughs> for lack of a better comparison, yeah. So they seem to be, you know, remarkably preserved, but it also seems like a lot of work that... The entire village is digging up their loved ones to parade them around for a couple of days just to have them feel like they have them for a brief moment in current time, no matter how long ago they might have passed away. Then when I was reading into it, there was a, an image I saw and it was clearly the body had been dead for quite some time. And it was a picture of like a little girl and it was next to it. And it was like meeting, you know, great grandfather for the first time or something like that. And it's kind of a weird thing to look at, but I get where they're trying to go spiritually with it. Yep. They're trying to say that like, you know, that this isn't a stopping ground for the body. We're, we're doing this in remembrance of the spirit because the spirit has passed on. Well, you know, like the Wakanda, they sees it as a stepping off point as opposed to a complete ending for them. Instilling that and also instilling that death isn't something to completely fear. And I feel like in this situation, instilling death as a natural thing will keep it from being super feared, but more respected. Gives it a sense of reverence and a bit more respect, which would get them to be more cognizant of their lives and more appreciative. And we're missing that bit in our society nowadays. My other issue with it is the fucking cost. It said anywhere between 50,000 US dollars to 500,000 US dollars in comparison to what they're sacrificing as far as the buffaloes or the, um, the animals I had stated. Does the whatever sacrifices they make, I assume, can't be touched by anyone else? Like, it's not like living people get to enjoy any spoils? I don't know. That I didn't look into. Now, my entry into this is... Also having to do with another culture's kind of funeral ceremony. The Yanomami tribe are a group of indigenous people who reside in the Amazon rainforest between Venezuela and Brazil. 
and are about 35,000 strong. The Yanomami don't believe that death is a natural occurrence, and thus, they believe that certain rituals must be performed in order to protect the spirit of the deceased. They do not bury their dead. Instead, they have a cremation ceremony. When a member of their tribe dies, their body is covered with leaves and left in the forest for about 30 to 45 days, where after that period, the bones are collected to be burned. During the cremation ceremony, members of the tribe paint their faces with the ash and sing and cry to express their grief and mourning. The next part of the ceremony is where it gets a bit strange. The tribe makes a special soup comprised of fermented bananas and the ground up bones and ashes of the recently departed. The soup is then poured into a gourd that is passed amongst all the members of the tribe who all partake in the soup. This process is called endocannibalism. They consume the ashes because they believe that the deceased spirit cannot find peace unless it's housed inside the living, thereby functionally having them live on inside the rest of the tribe and into newer generations. In cases where the deceased was killed by an enemy tribe, they will hold on to the ashes until they are able to get revenge, whereupon the night where there is a planned raid or retaliation, only the women will partake in the soup because they don't believe that they'll be able to be at peace until vengeance is taken on their behalf. Now this is interesting because I feel like this is one of the first times I've heard a group not finding death to be natural. In a lot of cases, I feel like outside of America, it's a little bit more built into like the conversation. Like other places do teach children about death at a young age, whereas it becomes controversial over here if like Sesame Street talks about it. Right. So for this tribe to not think it's natural is really interesting to me because I think I couldn't find exactly what they think it is but one of the sites I looked at regarding this tribe seemed to make it sound like they think it's the work of like an evil shaman and a rival group that's a layer of delusion I can't sign on to not for nothing but I really dig the fucking vengeance part I'd be about that tribe yeah they seem to be pretty warrior based because one of the other things that I saw was talking about how any warriors whose bodies weren't found becomes like a very concerning thing for them because they cannot perform their cremation ceremony on their bodies if they're never found and therefore they don't think they'll ever find rest. It's also interesting that like the concept of their peace because if death isn't a natural occurrence, how is there like a spirit world? And they do seem to believe in some sort of spirit world, but it seems to need to be within another living soul. Right. That gives a whole other layer of like possession and shit like that. In the situation where the women are the only ones to take it, any of them have kids, they've got to be thinking a part of this person's soul is not going to be in my kid. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea that they do go for. It's almost like a pseudo immortality because their soul gets like recycled. It's essentially transference. But now I got to think about it and being the geeky person that I am, like how far back do they like sit there and do this like recycling shit? Because like how many ancestors are going to be rolling down inside the body as it passes down? You know what I'm saying? Generation after generation, if they're, they're drinking the bones of their ancestors to pass the soul along, how many souls is in a body? Or is that the just the soul reincarnated of another person? So in my mind, it's getting kind of either it's either getting way too fucking crowded in here or it's a circulation of souls. Well, I can't say specifically what they think in those terms, but I did see something like 
there is some sort of vessel mentality because one of the things I saw, again, it wasn't very well elaborated on, is that maybe during like the funeral ceremonies, while there's a deceased body that hasn't had the soup eaten yet, there might be certain types of birds that they do not hunt during this period because they're afraid that maybe the spirits of the birds that they kill will then enter the empty body. On an unrelated note, I have seen a trend. I don't know how trendy it actually is, but I did see that it was a thing where some tattoo parlors have people come in with ashes and they'll mix the ash into the ink and then tattoo you. That's crazy. I don't know about that. It'd be kind of dope, but it'd be kind of weird. I think one of the articles I read about that specifically said, like, very little ash actually makes it into the tattoo. It's more of, like, a mental thing. Yeah. Because otherwise it might not be super healthy because tattoos are very, you know, they need to be very clean. Everything needs to be clean. So having dead skin and bone might be a problem. There's a thing online where um, there's this one lady, I'm sure there's a couple people who do it, there's one lady who sits there and makes clay jewelry and stuff like that, and you send her ashes of your loved ones, and she'll put the ash inside of the, the clay when she's making it and molding it and turning into whatever it is you want. Now, her, because she's done that with both people and animals and, you know, whatever, people's favorite pets and shit like that, some people have been sending her their dried-out sperm to put into the fucking necklaces and the jewelry that she makes and it'll be like i don't i don't even know why but some of them they feel like it's a fertility thing maybe it's her kink i don't know i don't know but the, like she has said that it has happened and some of them are, she does it because like it's for like a couple or something that are trying to do like a fertility thing or there was one instance where they were infertile and they wanted to have that necklace for them as like a i don't know some sort of sentimental thing their loved one passed away and they had just a little bit left over or something i don't i don't fucking know a little bit of their sperm left over? Yeah, like they saved it. Yeah, it was, a, oh, it was from a sperm bank. They had made a deposit at the sperm bank, but the person passed away. So they took the sperm and dried it out and sent it to her. You could have just kept it in the bank and then <laughs> use that DNA to reproduce a part of that person. Right, but yeah, yeah. I didn't know the full story of that. I just know that's what, <laughs> that's what happened for that. Anyways, going back to what Fionn was saying, I did some reading on the tribe, and I feel like the possibility of them, as far as the vessel question goes, you know how essentially in the West and in other cultures, they believe that when someone passes on, the, your memories of that person is what keeps that person alive. Mm -hmm. So that same construct, but modified, would be that you consuming those loved ones bones and ashes in the banana soup is not you necessarily having a bunch of souls in you it's just a kind of more visceral and or physical or ethereal way of keeping that person's memory by keeping a piece of them alive within you literally when she started mentioning about putting it inside of the mixture all i thought about at first was the movie how high where their friend died and they put his ashes inside of the weed plant. <laughs> then the weed plant sat there and grew faster and better and like with more budding and shit. Then they smoked it and saw their homie every time they smoked it. I did remember seeing that after a member of the Yanomami dies, they leave the body alone after they wrap it for a year's time to oh, let damn. insects pick at it. And so a year later, they go and they collect the bones. And that's what they would end up like uh, grounding into a fine powder to mix into banana 
soup and um, there's also ones that they make with uh, plantains as well and they consume it and then they repeat it the next year until it is all consumed oh damn so it's like a long process and once you said that they left the body out for the for nature to have at it that was making me feel some sort of way because i can respect my soul but disrespect my body i mean lots of people do just find the body to be you know the shell you know right well i don't know if that's their mentality about it but I mean, it must be to a degree because they find protecting the spirit very important, so. Right. There was uh, another tribe that I looked at, and I can't remember where exactly they are, but it's another indigenous tribe where it's another kind of grieving process where when members of their group die, women will cut off parts of their fingers because they feel it's necessary to have a physical form of pain to show their emotional pain and they're grieving but it is kind of funny because i think it's literally only the women men don't have to do it so it's a little you know fuck out of here with that i'm not chopping off a piece of anything for a loved one i don't think i love anybody that much <laughs> and it is pretty like rough because you could see like pictures of their fingers where you have just nubs i don't know how they function especially since at least in a lot of tribes i can't say specifically in that one women are doing a lot of like hand work you know Right. And doing a lot of the labor, too, for that matter. Weaving probably... stuff. Right, cooking. weaving clothes, probably tanning hides, sitting there, probably preparing the body as well. Like, and I gotta sit there and sacrifice a, a knuckle or a digit. Get the fuck out of here. So for my selection, piggybacking off of women who are having too much done. <laughs> a practice that is still going on in some cultures today is that of female genital mutilation. <gasps> I know about It's the practice of partial or total removal of the external female genitalia using a blade and most often without the use of anesthesia. Around 27 countries, such as Northeast Africa and a few Asian countries, practice this still. Reasons for it range from it being a cultural or religious practice, however, based on what I've read, it seems it's done more in the name of controlling a woman's sexuality. Yup. It's been seen as an essential part of raising daughters properly. Most of these daughters, by the way, are cut before they even turn five. The other excuses, which is what I'm going to call it, to keep it real, is that they use this as reasons to keep said girls pure, modest, and to prepare them for adulthood and marriage. So my question is, how about letting them actually be children first? I mean, maybe after a while, when they reach teenage age, you could talk to them about the subject and then give them the ability to make that choice. I mean, after all, it is their bodies, it is their lives. They're going to be living, you know, presumably past their older relatives who would have made these choices for them. It's also a way to refrain them from illicit sexual activities such as masturbation or premarital sex. I was about to say that. Since stats have been recorded, it's estimated that over 200 million women in 30 countries have been subjected to one or more types of general mutilation. Of the types that exist, there are three. One is the removal of clitoral hood or of the clitoral glands. Type two is the removal of the inner labia. Type three is the removal of the inner and outer labia and the closing of the vulva. (gasps) Now, a small hole is left in order for them to urinate and release menstrual fluid. The vagina is opened for intercourse and opened even more so and further for childbirth. Now, keep in mind that this practice tends to be done by women in those particular children's families. So also based on 
the type done, there are adverse health effects such as difficulty urinating and passing said menstrual flow, reoccurring infections, development of cysts, fatal bleeding, childbirth complications, or even infertility. Efforts have been made internationally to have this practice outlawed or restricted, but laws are often not enforced well in those countries that still practice it. I was going to say, like, there's no way that's not having some sort of effect if they're cutting off pieces or closing things when your body's built to function a certain way. It is such a huge psychological mindfuck because they're being taught that they're nothing but pleasure receptacles for the opposite sex. You yourself, as a fucking cum dumpster, are not allowed to have any type of pleasure. You said they took the clitoris, the hood, and the outer labia. Those are three out of the four ways women can orgasm right there. Right the fuck there. That is so fucking fucked. So they make them seem like machines. They won't even be able to derive any pleasure out of it. Yeah, you're functioning machines, by the way, because you're clearly sitting there making it harder for her to become the the fucking baby factory you're looking for her to be. And at young as as young as under five, get the fuck out of here. Oh hell no! You're training your daughter, your like young daughter, to be just used. I don't get it. It's back to that medieval shit where you're nothing but a fucking pawn for me to sell off and get more land or more fucking buffalo or more fucking profit of any kind. And it's absolutely horrid. Ooh, you said that young. I can't. Why would you mutilate? How are you okay with me? Like even being someone who went through it as a female who had gone through it, why would you be okay with it doing to someone else? Because it could like women are already having problems with the high death rates depending on the fucking country that you go to, let alone the healthcare in and of itself. And we're talking about like clearly places that don't have like well, I can't make that assumption because I'm pretty sure there's fucking civilized worlds doing like this. And not that, you know, anybody else is uncivilized, but you, you get what I'm saying. As far as health, uh, access to health care, you can't. How are you OK with this? How are you OK with watching it happen to generation after generation, knowing of what it probably psychologically had done to you? You have to be well, so indoctrined into it that well, you think that's what I'm supposed to be. It's definitely an indoctrined mindset because it's happened to them, because they've been living with it, because they're told repeatedly that's how it's supposed to be and how every man in their lives probably reinforces this mindset from their fathers as young as five to their husbands and their sons. There's got to be a level of, well, it happened to me, it has to happen to you. That too. There's probably some bitterness. There are, in certain countries, there are younger generations of females who are starting to like speak out against these like misogynistic, oppressive cultures that they live in and older generation of women are upset with them about it and it's kind of fucked up it's really fucked up to be honest because part of it's because they're so molded by that mindset they can't see outside of it and a lot of it is because it happened to them it needs to happen to the younger ones too this is horrendous i like no you're you're not taking no absolutely not i need to get myself off whether it be with somebody or not you're not taking that away from me what the fuck? Guys can get off fucking a ham sandwich. And you mean you're going to take away three out of the four fucking ways I can get off? Get the fuck out of here. No, no. Obviously, bullshit that like, it's so one-sided because like you said, the guys get to enjoy the act of it. But if a woman enjoys it, it's indecent. Oh, this so shit they me literally over. cut it off. Or like even just from when Spade said like raising proper daughters that immediately made me feel some type of way. Oh, proper? I made my eye twitch. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like you were talking about earlier, talking about getting your prized possession of your daughter primed to be married to someone presumably of class or social status or whatever it is that that's another reason as to why they make sure their daughters go through the act so that way they can retain decent social status their purity can't be denied or tainted or said negatively otherwise but you know you're taking away your daughter's chance to be able to make the decision for herself for her to be an individual for her to be able to enjoy being part of a generation that wouldn't be shackled to such medieval older definitely outdated practices you were talking about modifying someone's body without their ability to even permit to it because it happens from infancy to five and in some cases to almost preteen age to taking out the outer labia would leave that girl open to all kinds of fucked shit like you had mentioned cysts and fucking yeast infections and all kinds of other shit because you're taking away that layer of protection that that body naturally has you're taking away one of its natural operations that keeps it from keeping the vagina fresh and keeping the vagina healthy so like you're in and of itself counteracting like the nose to spite face type shit like you're clearly sitting there making it harder for you to be able to have that person produce the offspring that you're looking for this bitch to be like you're clearly looking for her to be a proper baby factory and healthy enough to be able to produce babies when you just taking that outer layer protection out is leaving her open she could sit there and die in childbirth with this shit and not for nothing this kind of problem usually stems from men making decisions or telling a woman what she should do with her body when he doesn't even understand it because i bet you they don't even know what the lobby is supposed to do they just see it as a part of the vagina and because they associate the vagina with sex and only sex in a men's eyes it's blocking the penis yeah they just cut it off whatever pieces hang out to be honest so this is blocking the hole. We don't need this. You don't need this. Yeah. You don't install with pleasure. Let's cut this. It's like you think you're trimming the fat when you're not. Yeah, <laughs> like no. that's not how the fuck. That's not how the shit fucking works. Especially when it's so like pH wise, very very temperamental. Oh. It's built to handle itself. And again, speaking of men making rules for shit they don't understand, I will bring up Roe versus Wade in America. Regardless of how you feel religiously, I think it should be agreed. That no one who is a individual who likes to be respected and wants respect for themselves and others should be okay with people who have no idea what anyone's situation is making decisions and basically signing them into indentured servitude if they're going to force them into having a child. If that's not what they want or not what they can afford. Right. Whether it's for health reasons they can't afford it or monetary reasons. Having a kid is not cheap, and it is a strain on the body that men will never have to know about. So for them to force it onto somebody without knowing is wrong. You know what their fucking excuse for that shit is? Put it up for adoption, baby safe haven. Well, how many people are out there adopting kids that are there now? Why the fuck is it okay for me to add to the fucking pylon of kids who don't have fucking homes to go to? I, I can, Not I can, to mention all the older kids who usually don't get adopted at the same rate. Right. Or the problems with the foster care system as it is already. That's this, not even fixed. The success rate for people who age out of fucking foster care is not highly successful. 
And it's like um, the numbers are out there. I'm sure I'm not, I haven't sat there and dug any way into it whatsoever. But like, it's still a fucking major issue. And they don't care once the baby's out. The message here is men, keep your hands off their uteruses. It belongs to women. Allow them to make their own fucking decisions. Thank you. Yes. All right. Next is Am I the Asshole? And what I have for you guys is family, nephew, or neighbor. Neighbor. Would I be the asshole if I reported my neighbor for turning his two-bedroom flat into a three-bedroom? Hi, all. So I live in a block of nine flats and have lived here for about five years. The flats themselves are around seven years old. I'm lucky enough to own my own flat, and the block itself is a mixture of renters and owners. The flats are, however, all leaseholds. Every flat has a similar layout. They have two beds with a main bathroom and one end suite. The living room and kitchen are open plan. Each flat has two assigned parking spaces. Now, in the current climate, UK-based, the flats aren't selling too well despite being in a very desirable area of London. One of our neighbors who owns this flat has therefore decided to rent it out so he can move to a larger property. My issue is he has decided he wants to maximize his profit. To do this, he has converted the living room into a third bedroom. This doesn't sit well with me at all, and I'm pretty sure he can't legally do it. Firstly, I think... It's pretty shitty to convert the living room and leave the renters with one small kitchen as the only communal space. I really don't like the idea of him maximizing his profit at others' expense and created overcrowding. Secondly, this is a block full of couples and families. I'm concerned that if more and more people start doing this, it changes the demographic. Then there's just the issue of having multiple people in one flat. More cars, which the block doesn't have space for. More noise from occupants, etc., etc. He has managed to successfully get some renters as the rental market is booming, but they haven't moved in yet. I'm very tempted to make some inquiries to the freeholder and the council about his setup. But if it is illegal, which I strongly suggest it is, that I'd only lose this guy, his renters. But he'd have to put everything back at expense. Alternatively, I could just let it go. Would I be the asshole if I reported them? This person who's asking if they're the asshole is the one who owns the property? No, they own a property next door. So it's not theirs whatsoever. Right. They own their own flat, but the person next door is renting theirs out and turned their two-bedroom into a three-bedroom. It doesn't sound like it has anything to do with this person then. Yeah, it sounds like he's being nosy. It sounds like that person is jealous about the fucking money that the person's going to be making because they're worried about what other people are going to be feeling in a situation he's not in. And I think he's the asshole here because if they see the property and they're okay with not having a fucking communion room. Right. Because there's no way like he would, as long as the guy's being forthcoming with that, not lying and saying there's living rooms still. Right. And like, let's be honest, in the UK, they are having a housing crisis. There are people who don't have places to live and end up fucking becoming um, squatters in some places. So people need places to stay. So who the fuck is this person getting jealous? Because then they went to, because part of it was like, there'd be more cars, so there won't be spaces for other people. And then there'd be no noise. And maybe it'll change the dynamic of the neighborhood. You sound very privileged, bitch. As soon as he said that, I'm like, are you talking about gentrification? Like, what are you talking about? Right. This person sounds like a fucking Karen. And they're going to be jealous. Remember uh, the Chappelle show's haters ball? That's what this motherfucker sounds like. He's trying to be a part of the haters ball. If you're so concerned about what money they're going to make, turn your shit into a three bedroom. Right. You want to be a fucking snitch about it. Like, yo, let them live them. And if they do something wrong, then fucking report them. Like if they go to noise ordinances, you can't do shit about any noise anybody makes during the day until a certain time of the fucking night anyway. So what the fuck are you going to complain about? If that person didn't convert it to a three-bedroom flat and left it a two-bedroom and put a family of like five in there, 
you still couldn't do shit about it. And you're going to no. complain about the noise for that? Like, what the fuck are you going to do about that then? Are you going to try to pick and choose who the fuck this person allows to rent in their spot too? Like, get the fuck out of here. Not to mention, it makes you wonder how he even knows all this, assuming it's a he. Unless you're being really fucking nosy. Like, I just picture him all up in the other person's business. And it's unnecessary. With an eye through the curtain. <laughs> yeah, I hate you. Right. I don't even know you. And I hate you. <laughs> I hope all the bad things in life happen to you and nobody else but you. <laughs> yeah, no, that motherfucker's definitely an asshole, yo. Because none of nothing that happens over there is any of your fucking business unless it involves you directly. It ain't your place. You ain't renting it out. You aren't being one of the people going in to be rented. And how are you going to sit there and think of and assume trouble before anybody moves in? Exactly. And talking about extra cars, if it's a family, like two kids and a parent, why would there be extra cars? You're making assumptions about how many cars is going to come from one extra bedroom. From one building, one fucking building. This person is not going to all the other buildings, making sure their fucking apartments or, or buildings are up to code and making sure they're not three bedrooms. No, you're only worried about this one motherfucker because he's directly next to you. And then you're trying to borrow trouble before it happens. I can't roll my eyes deep enough into the back of my head for this motherfucker. You are the asshole. We want you to know, in our sincerest opinion, you're the asshole. You're a nosy fucking asshole. Mind your own business. Stop the hatery, bruh. Switch to water. <laughs> in this corner of the universe, Colin Farrow confirmed that the Penguin spinoff series for HBO Max will be eight episodes. Logan director James Mangold is in talks to direct Swamp Thing for DC Studios. He is a huge fan of that character, and James Gunn confirms that it will be tonally a horror film, and that they will one-up Rocket Raccoon in terms of a non-traditional or non-human character. It's a dark type of comic, right? Yeah. Good. Staying on par for the course would be really good. Yeah, because he's like, I don't know for sure, but I'd say, like, looking at him, he seems like monster movie inspired anyway right he does not look like like the toxic crusaders from my youth where they were fucked up looking but they were all about helping the people you know yeah no swamp thing is literally a guy who had a serum that he had interjected himself with and then he aligned with the network known as the green and his sole purpose is literally to protect the earth and he doesn't interfere in the affairs of humanity or even other superheroes unless the green is threatened. Uh, see, I thought he was like a manifestation of the Earth trying to protect itself. Mm. See, I was wondering he, whether or not they stayed true to his type of character in the Harley Quinn cartoon. I probably have to see it, the episodes that he's in to know because there's technically two Swamp Things in the DC Universe. The main one is the one that you see in the most stories of whose name I can't recall right now. Yeah, there was a big issue in the Harley Quinn cartoon where they asked him for his help. Poison Ivy went to him to ask to both connect into the green so she could help like with the plants because there somebody took her plant serum and like took some of her blood and injected it into plants and they were going crazy like attacking gotham and about to like destroy the world and he was like nah that ain't got nothing to do with me and she was like please help me he's like nah that ain't got nothing to do with me yeah he's as far as i know he's just environmentally concerned as long as like nature isn't being harmed i don't think he gives a fuck yeah although that's also his achilles heel because that's how some of the heroes have dragged him into fights against you know formidable foes because they'll make him see that everything in like a park is getting destroyed and then he rages because i'm gonna say like you tempt him into a battle like look they're stepping on the grass 
You're right. That's how they got him to help Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy in the cartoon. They're like, listen, these plants are going to destroy people and they're going to spread and they're going to destroy the green itself. And he's like, all right, I'll help. Like begrudgingly type shit. So you're right. DC Studios also clarified how its future games will connect to their movie and TV universes as they will be written to fill in the gaps of those stories uh, on their big screen counterparts. Like game games? Yes, video games. I'm so happy that they're having a fluent universe because, like, I have been, like, saying for years, I'm not a huge DC fan, but I like how their cartoons are written and, like, how Marvel has a flowing connectivity and continuity to their shit. And I always wish that DC would have some of that, too. And I really like that they're, like, saying, fuck this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to make it connected. We're going to focus. We're going to bring it all together. And I like that. See, I almost feel the opposite because I feel like (laughs) they did really well with their stories as they were without having to be a big connected thing i feel like that only works with the cartoons though their movies have been slacking and i'm really i have more hope for the movies to be continuity than the cartoons because the cartoons have been dope well yes the cartoons have been really good but specifically outside of that my biggest points would be the batman with pattinson and then the Joker movie that are completely disconnected from anything else we've seen in terms of any DC movie, but they both did really well in their own unique takes on the characters. And now saying that like anytime you see a character, it's going to have to be the same actor every time doesn't leave room for the other interpretations, which I think specifically characters from like batman's universe and dc in general have always specifically benefited from or like comics in general tend to benefit from that when they have different storylines different timelines different arcs right and the way dc was doing it kind of embodied that where you could have like different runs for each of the shows the movies animated films you could kind of view them as their own individual issue without having it to be all one big thing and not having to carry over everything that happened. Like, going forward, does that mean we won't see the Joker in the Pattinson film who was cast and we saw a glimpse of him? We'll never get to see that because now they want it to be all continuity. Well, to piggyback off of that, he confirmed during his DC Studios slate reveal is that Phoenix's Joker in Pattinson's Batman films will still exist they're overseeing those as well though they're not putting any input into it they're leaving those universes alone and will from this point forward be considered dc elseworlds projects and every time that you see a movie that isn't part of the main dcu canon it will be referred to as an elseworlds project now pattinson's movie is set to be a trilogy so Right now, Barry Kagan is expected and had even recently hinted on Instagram or Twitter that he's starting to get back into the mindset for the Joker, seeing as filming should start on that soon, given that uh, James Gunn revealed that the sequel comes out in 2025. I'm honestly over the Joker. I feel like there's a lot done with the Joker. Always something done with the Joker. And I respect that the the one with Bane. The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, like those without Joker are like good films. The Joker doesn't have to be the fucking main one. There's a cavalcade of fucking Batman baddies that could be used properly. And like I think Killer Croc could have been done. I would love some fucking Solomon Grundy. Well, it's very possible given that DCU is going to be touching on a lot of the lesser known properties. So you could see Solomon Grundy and man bat and such popping up in future projects whether it's small screen or big screen i will say that 
the Batman with Pattinson did sort of, I mean, it showed T's Joker at the end, but them really taking the Riddler seriously was really good. And speaking of a villain, that would be nice to see. It'd be nice to see Hush adapted like into a live action thing. He could fit in that universe. He could fit in that universe specifically. And if it's supposed to be a trilogy, I'm not a director. I have no say or influence in this whatsoever. But I think it'd be really cool. They tease the Joker at the end. He was locked up. The second movie, maybe he's dealing with another enemy, let's say Hush for now. Like one of the other characters who doesn't get enough spotlight. And then like they sort of tease like, now the Joker's on loose at the end of that one. Like, now he's out, and then he'll be the big bad of the third one. I think that it isn't a mistake that the Riddler was the primary one in the first film, especially seeing as the Riddler was a very important factor in the Hush storyline in the comics. So I could totally see the Riddler and Hush being a thing in either one of the two movies. Especially since, like, Hush definitely does have that, like, kind of noir feeling to him. Drac- Which is what Jack the Ripper vibes, you know? I mean, Victor Zaz would be useful yeah, in, this say him ser- in this series, too. Zaz feels kind of Zodiac-ish, which they just did with the Riddler, though, so I don't know. Yeah. Unless they adapt him differently. I feel like having a Solomon Grundy film with, like, getting into his background and how, like, sad it is for him. Like, seeing, like, having him go through the whole, you know, they try to kill him for his own good, but then, like... He has to keep coming back, and the guy just keeps coming back sadder and like a meaner bad guy would be a good emotional connection to a bad guy that you don't normally have, like a l- whole layer of sympathy for I mean, a bad did, guy. They did that kind of in the Arkham games with Mr. Freeze. I know the one live adaptation of Freeze wasn't great, but the way Arkham did it, like him, you know, going through all these links to save his wife. You know, he's a really sympathetic villain, so you could try to bring that level of, like, depth that they gave him in the Arkham games into a live action. I don't know if it would be redundant since the Arkham game did it pretty well. So, I mean, Hush would be pretty good because he's still pretty grounded. And it fits the whole theme of where they're going with with Batman being a detective. I liked how they leaned into him, you know, and detecting. Especially since, again, mentioning the Arkham games, the Hush side mission in, was it Arkham City? was really good because it was very much detective. You were putting together the pieces. You were solving these various murders to get the like reveal of Hush at the end. You got all these uh, clues, you put them together, and then you put them in your little device and you watched the scene play out you know, in digital form on how the crime may have happened in real time then. Yeah, I hope the Elseworlds thing isn't like a couple here and there i hope it's still something that happens pretty consistently alongside their main universe because especially since i mentioned this to spade before if they're going to be casting actor actors into the roles and then carrying them over into their animated stuff like they said they would be and games i don't want them overlooking voice actors because they already get like kind of shafted with the uh, job opportunities yeah and underpaid in a lot of cases so specifically having actor actors like I mean what's his name being Mario instead of the <laughs> Mario guy there's no need to completely bypass these people who are completely capable of being their these characters especially if they already have been for a long period of time and also in the same vein the Resident Evil 2 remake the Leon voice actor in that game which was not Matthew Mercer who, who did the majority of the Leon appearances who you know, I associate heavily with that character. 
in the most recent animated movie that they did with Leon, they carried over that voice actor instead of Matthew Mercer. And I didn't like it as much because I feel like his voice doesn't match that iteration of the character. How that character looked in that series. Yeah. He sounded too babyish for this more hardened version of Leon, which Matthew Mercer has portrayed in various games and also in all of the animated films, I believe. So them swapping him out just to make continuity for the most recent remake didn't sit well with me because you already have this person establishes Leon and this one guy coming in for one time to do the remake voice. I don't need him to come back for continuity. That continuity doesn't matter to me. It wasn't even asked for, for the most part. Yeah, nobody wanted it. Nobody but cared. Honestly, uh, <laughs> off of what Feline said earlier, is that Gunn has said that it will be for audience continuity that the live-action person will be the voice for the animated series for video game adaptations. However, I don't believe that they will shirk other veteran voice actors to do additional voices or character voices that may not have a live action adaptation so they may still get the roles but we'll wait and see on that now on the elseworlds projects that are being made with the elseworlds in mind are still going to be intact and they're still looking to make sure that the people that they get to make not only their main universe projects but also like they've been doing with the elseworlds ones now is that they want to put story first and foremost so the director and the writer will go unabated with their pitch and will have total creative control with what gets approved if they like the story that's being told and then they can have it be told and doesn't need to be folded into the main continuity because they'll have those projects and then the ones that don't fit that will be considered the Elseworlds ones. So the other co-CEO, Peter Safran, confirmed that when he was asked about Michael Keaton's Batman, he said, well, we're not having anything off the table and we are a multiverse still. So while not saying that Michael Keaton will continue to be Batman in other stories, the possibility of it is still existing that he will if the project happens to fold within their shared universe or if it's an Elseworlds thing. I said it once and I'm going to say it again. Get me my Batman Beyond and get me my Terry McGinnis and fucking Michael Keaton needs to be the Batman. For real. I, I want to see him vicious. I even want to see if old Batman sees new Batman and then they watch each other interrogate a bad guy on the fucking roof. And then old Batman's like, I can't believe I was this green. And then like really fucks up the bad guy to get the information they need. And then young previous Batman is just like, I don't know how long I can hold this guy back. <laughs> the fact that they were co-signing for each other was such a great scene. And I would love to see that brought live action with my favorite Batman. Like good bat, bad bat. Yeah, dude, it was it was bad bat and worse bat. <laughs> it's rumored that the events of Blade will lead into the Midnight Suns project, which is also said to include Moon Knight's Scarlet Scarab. Hmm. That's his missus from the show, right? Yeah, yeah, the love interest that we saw. Now, for those not familiar, the Midnight Suns is a team, or is in a lot of continuities, led by Blade, Morbius, and usually one or two Ghost Riders with other interchangeable members of the past having been Scarlet Witch, Doctor Strange, Wong. Wongers. So a lot of those characters, we should mention, some of them do already exist in the MCU. So them going the Midnight Suns route wouldn't be surprising. But I would be down to see an expansion of the supernatural horror side of Marvel, seeing as I did enjoy Werewolf by Night's visuals. And I think... Um, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I that think... That was uh, good. I think uh, Bernal did a great job being that character, and Man-Thing was 
seems to be like that uh, do or die homie that he had. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. I really liked that whole dynamic throughout that whole film. It, it was very new noir type setting, and it was really nice. It was Universal Monster Movie issue, which is what you know yes. they were going. And um, those two I will mention have also been members of the Midnight Suns. Nice. I was say, also Bloodstone, since they have her there, she would her too. She would has been fit well with Blade. I just want them to do well establishing Blade. Like I don't even want to think about what else he's going to be in until I see him in his movie because again i've mentioned this in like a previous episode of this that i love the blade movies so i have reserved excitement for this because i'm afraid that they might tame it too much like tone it down too much because now it's disney they say it's supposed to be keeping its rated r but you know we'll see as but will it be as cool you can be rated R, but still not be as cool. I mean, not for yeah. nothing. Mahershala Ali is fucking dope. He's a great actor. He has just a smooth fucking way of being in, in his acting. And I, I really think he was a good choice for the oh, next Blade. Yeah. I just, I'm excited. I want to see it. I loved all the Blade films, all of them. Even the one with Ryan Reynolds and he was cracking all the jokes. I don't give a fuck. I loved it them all. I loved the visuals. I loved the, the funky techno pop of it. I even loved Romstein being in it. Like, I loved everything about those. I loved the visuals, the fucking deaths. I love me some gruesome deaths. So it was awesome. And I, I like with Mahersha Ali and whoever else is going, I really, like, I have high hopes. Like, they have big shoes have, to fill. Yeah, I don't have, like, so much concern with him being cast as Blade. Mm -hmm. It's so much as what they'll do with him as Blade. Like, can they capture all the, like, cool aesthetic like you said visually it was really cool the deaths were cool the soundtrack was cool i don't know if they're going to be able to recapture that because i liked those movies as they were so i feel like i'm going to be one of those people who's going to be you know a little resistant to any changes they make i'm going to say that the blade movie will not be as stylish as the snipes trilogy i believe that the closest they are try and I believe that the closest that they'll get will, in terms of style and coolness will be essentially the first Black Panther film. How that was shot, how that looked. Yeah, that had some style, but like it's a different kind of style. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, as far as flashy, as far as flashy and fast paced, I feel like that and only that is what they'll achieve. Never not, mind the subject matter that Blade tends to be. And not to mention, like, again, a lot of the cool comes from those fights and how they were choreographed. And I feel like when it comes to the Marvel movies as they are so far, there's only like maybe less than a handful of fights that I specifically think were aesthetically very cool in terms of the way they're choreographed rather than just being a lot of, you know, special effects. That's why I feel like the, those movies, that this Blade movie will not be like that. Like it won't be like, I feel like they'll try to reach for John Wick level in terms of the way it looks and the action, but I don't think they're going to achieve it because it is Disney, and even if they do say it's going to stay rated R, there is going to be a limit to the type of blood that they will show. I feel like you have to keep an open mind about it, because remember, this is like late 90s, early 2000s level of like nouveau cool. So like you have to keep an open perspective about that on the back end, because definitely going new age, like you said, John Wick type cool, it's still fucking cool and still well done. I feel like Mahershala Ali and... Michael Jai White would have been really he's that martial artist guy he was in um the the movie that I like the one where they had to go fly a helicopter to go get two million dollars and then had um 
Yes, that one. So him in it, and like, but he he dies in everything he's in, and I feel like putting him in that role would have been really really well. Plus, he has the martial arts background and the martial arts technique for that shit too. So I feel like either one of them are would have been really good choices for Blade. But as long as you keep an open mind, like this is again, Blade was like late nineties, early two thousands type of cool. You know what I'm saying? So like, if you keep that in mind and keep it more with the times, I think it'd be way more acceptable and it'd be people who are really going to be down for it. See, here's the thing. I have an open mind for comic action movies, even if they end up becoming bad. I have an open mind and belief that Blade will do well. I'm just sitting there saying that visually, I'm seeing the limit that Marvel Studios has shown us thus far. So I'm using that as my frame of reference. Understood. The thing that I'm absolutely sure of is the difference between Marvel Studios and being run by Mickey Mouse <laughs> versus New Line Cinema oh, and yeah. being owned by Bugs Bunny. <laughs> you understand that New Line Cinema basically seemed to support the stories that those directors wanted to tell and shoot it exactly the way that they came out. So in terms of comparing Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny, I'm pretty sure and confident to say that whatever they do come out with is not going to be the level of the Snipes trilogy in terms love- of look, in terms of the action that we see. Like, I get that Shang-Chi was supposed to be a martial arts epic. It wasn't. It was literally a kind of neutered martial arts movie set in a comic universe that had to be palatable for a larger than normal audience that would have seen an Asian film had it not said Marvel Studios on it. Right, you, you can, from someone who like sits there and watch a lot of martial arts films, you can tell that the choreography is a little bit slower, and they're yeah. not going to be as fast as like a full martial artist goes. But I think it's hilarious how we use Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse comparisons. This motherfucker is a hardcore Bugs Bunny fan. And <laughs> hey, listen, Bugs Bunny was somebody. I mean, Mickey Mouse would be like, "Oh, shut up, walk away." Yo, Bugs Bunny changed the definition of the fucking word Nimrod. Nimrod is meant to be something else, and now people think Nimrod is something fucking dumb. They said, like, I think Nimrod was supposed to be a good hunter, and they, like, made fun of Elmer. Yeah. Like, a bad hunter, and now people think it means he was dumb. I've seen, like, TikTok clips of people are like, yo, one of my crushes was Bugs Bunny in drag, and this shit had me dying. Bugs Bunny did look good as a woman. (laughs) Yo, when he had that long-ass Southern Belle outfit, I think he was trying to convince somebody, Sam, not to kill him, and he had that big-ass fucking hat. He was very fucking framed. It looked like he had titties and a waist and everything. I was like, God, Bugs. He had a tight ass in a a miniskirt, I think. I remember seeing some high heels, too. Platinum blonde or something. Looked like a bombshell. That's so funny. The sixth episode of Secret Invasion is rumored to feature a big cameo. So you can insert your guesses as to who or what that might be. A rumored report also claims that Amazon has bought the rights to the Tomb Raider franchise from Embracer Group, who bought it from Square Enix for $300 million last year. Supposedly, in this report, Amazon has bought the rights for $600 million. And to kind of correlate with that is there are plans that they have to not only publish the upcoming game from Crystal Dynamics, but also writing a Tomb Raider TV series that will possibly lead into a reboot film and future game entries. So Amazon seems to be all in on her. Was the movie that they did recently well-received or not? Because I remember it coming out and then I don't remember anything else. It came out to mixed reviews. I mean, it was well-adapted from the recent 
like first two games in the franchise at the time that this movie came out and she was even saying as recently as two years ago now that she was hoping that a second one would get off the ground but now that mgm has been bought by amazon and the rights to the tomb raider movie franchise sits with mgm it's already by default belonging to amazon since they acquired them now a movie with alicia vikander reprising the role is unlikely to occur not for nothing i really didn't dig the newer movie and i'm not a huge angelina jolie fan but i liked how she portrayed lara croft i feel like if they do like a series they're gonna start with young lara and i don't want that i don't want young lara i want confident lara I want, I've raided a couple tombs and I know what the fuck I'm doing. I want athletic Lara. I want, I'm going to fuck shit up, Lara. Yeah, they'll probably go young because I feel like, especially when they're creating a show from a recently bought thing that they got, they want to establish the character like before they're like the character, you know? I feel like it's going to turn into like a Spider-Man thing for me. Like, oh my God, I know his fucking uncle died. I know. Great responsibility. Yes, I know. Like, I don't want that with my Lara Croft. She's a badass fucking woman. When video games came out, you didn't know badass women were out there like that. People didn't even know fucking Samus was a fucking woman until you got, like, the secret ending at the end where the bitch stripped down to her fucking tight outfit. You were born into privilege and you were able to sit there and do some shit for the world that other people couldn't fucking do. Utilize it. Be the fucking female Batman and be better. It's funny because me and Spade were just talking about how Samus being, like, a strong female action protagonist in the game seems to maybe be directly influenced by like Sigourney Weaver and Alien. Yeah, because even the like monster or alien foe that Samus deals with, his name is Ridley. Yeah, which could be a reference to Ellen Ripley. Yeah, and, and some of their they seem to have backgrounds look yeah. kind of xenomorphish. And some of the like themes they deal with with the aliens and whatnot. So you know, strong female characters supporting strong female characters. Damn right. House of the Dragon Season 2 has a reported start filming date of March 6th. They ain't start filming yet. They need to film and release because I need, I need a new season. <laughs> if they film, if this is true and they film around that time, then we we'll probably won't see it until next year. Boo. Prominent rock star Insider says that GTA 6 is already feature complete, which would mean a huge milestone in development, which would then also mean that a reveal isn't too far away. This does line up with various reports of a reveal this year for release in 2024, but you want to keep in mind though that Rockstar tends to delay their projects, so a Grand Theft Auto 6 release in 2025 is probably more likely. I also feel though, like if I were a company and every time someone leaks something about my game, like, listen, every time y'all do this, it's getting pushed back further and further. Keep it up. I'm gonna change some shit. <laughs> I'd be petty and change some shit. Oh, you want to release that, huh? All right, we're reshooting. I don't give a fuck. I'll delete a whole character. <laughs> or a fake leak a character itself. I think it'd be hilarious. That'd be even funnier. Can you imagine you leaking all the shit and just having it all be wrong? Throw them all off. I once read that this person wanted to create a book that had four, three different endings, but put down three of four so that people would be out there looking for the fourth ending that was never there. That's funny. It's <laughs> a fucking layer of petty I wish to establish, too, sometimes. That wraps it up for this week's episode. Tune in next time as we discuss more topics. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. If you like the show, please follow us on your preferred platform. You can leave us questions and comments or shoot us an email at fandomsculturemurder at gmail.com. Until next time, it's Spade. It's Feline. And Al. Bye, everybody. We appreciate y'all listening. Everybody stay safe out there. It's wild. Bye-bye.